Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Social Review Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and today I'm joined by Tiran. Hi there, at VampTheBS on Twitter. And Julia. Hi, I'm Julia Blanc at JuliaBlanc1 on Twitter. And this week we are talking all things football. You join us in the wake of the unfortunate defeat that England suffered last night at the hands of Italy. It was a, a horrible match to watch, nail-biting, and at the end of the day, as always, with England and in life and the Labour Party, it is the hope that kills you. But we're here today to talk about a little bit about the England football team. I guess, you know, our relationships with our sports our sports teams, sporting nationalism, progressive patriotism as well to a certain extent, and how that interacts with our politics. As well as this, we'll be thinking a little bit about the Copa America, because that recently just finished. Lionel Messi finally won an international tournament, and we're all very, very happy for him. Moving on from that... We'll be chatting a little bit about the universal credit uplift that's set to be scrapped soon, as well as the threat to the triple lock on pensions. Thank you for joining me today. So I guess my first question, I'm someone who's is who's always been really into football. I played football from a young age. I did trials at Plymouth Argyle. I always bring that up in conversation with people because it's something I'm, I'm immensely proud of. But Tiran, are you someone who's like always been into sport or is this something that's like come like like later on for you and how, what's your relation with this England side? Well, you know, I'm obviously one of life's natural athletes. Uh, if you look at any pictures of me, um, you know, just a rippling with a Adonis-like, Adonis-like beauty and power. <laughs> um, uh, no, so I'm someone who's been, uh, I would, you know, people call themselves lapsed Catholics. I would call myself a lapsed football fan. You know, I was much a much bigger fan when I was younger. My favourite way of immediately kind of wrong-footing anyone who talks to me is that I am a, a Millwall fan from childhood. Um, <laughs> the look on Julia's face there. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I do like to leaven it out. You know, Arsenal are my are my Premier League team. So, you know, I've got the rough and the smooth. You know, I was seduced by Henri when I realised I needed some Premier League, uh, some, some Premier League action going on uh, around the age of eight. Yeah, uh, so I'm someone who my attention to the football really tends to be limited to... I'll, take a look at kind of the BBC updates kind of each week after each match. Basically enough that I can kind of, you know, have a conversation kind of with most people if there is nothing else to talk about. Uh, you know, I can kind of gather the way things are going. Um, but the thing that I do love doing every two years is getting into my straight man drag. Uh, well, I say straight man drag. I'm someone who's trying to convert to an Adidas wardrobe in my early 30s. So, you know, I'm going to be doing it full time, hopefully soon. But obviously, you know, that's quite a big game movement anyway. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I'm someone who loves kind of really, you know, getting into the football, you know, every two years to the international tournaments. I've always been, you know, I'm an Olympics fan. You know, I'm, I'm big on international sports tournaments. Uh, it's good fun to watch. It's, it's a crucial part of the summer. It's part of the reason why, you know, it's absolutely inhumane, evil, horrible and awful that the next World Cup next year is going to be in bloody November, December. You know, that's just, you know, it's against God's law, for fuck's sake, as well as, you know, destroying the entire planet by having air conditioned state. And all the so, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who, uh, that as well. But, you know, come on, Russia and all that. That's that's never been anything they've really cared about that much. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, um, Something that is is quite a big part, you know, of my summers every every year ending in an even number, apart from this one. Um, and um, so I tend to pay a lot of attention. But the thing is, is, you know, I am someone who, if you spoke to me about 12 years ago, kind of I took a bit more of a kind of casually supported England. But, you know, if you look at the sort of way that a lot of FBP people have responded kind of the England team and also particularly to the hooliganism yesterday that was going on um a lot of them going oh you know this is an absolute disgrace yeah I was kind of maybe a little more kind of aligned with that view when I was an obnoxious little 18 year old who was quite determined to you know an obnoxious little 18 year old who thought he was better than everyone else basically um, um but that's a view that you know I think was actually kind of almost aided a little bit by you know we lived in a much more kind of jingoistic society about um you know funny as it sounds like actually no okay we lived in a more jingoistic kind of a society in a different way about 12 years ago with how we viewed the England team like if you look at the sun's front page day after we beat England if the day after we beat Germany it was like night and day compared to how it was in 2010 you know we we've got a media that's kind of advanced a little bit obviously as a country become jingoistic in a lot of different ways but you know the my view on this national team i think has kind of changed with the way that actually 
the country has changed in terms of how it views games between England and Germany and things like that. But also in terms of the team itself, you know, I didn't really like the National England team when it was the likes of John Terry, Frank Lampard, uh, Wayne Rooney, you know, that they weren't a really likeable bunch, you know, they were actually, you know, they, they stood for a lot of things. Well, no, not all of them, obviously, but, you know, the likes of Terry, then they, they didn't really like sound so much that you really kind of liked to kind of be a part of, you know, they, they were the sorts of people who's like, yeah, do I really want them to win anything? No, no. I mean, for many reasons, you know, obviously Chelsea player as well. Um, yeah, but, now, actually, kind of my view of the England side, you know, they're a nice bunch of lads. And, you know, this is obviously everyone has said this kind of a, a million times over, but, you know, they've got much more kind of going on about themselves. They're, they're, they're a lot more socially minded. Uh, they're a lot more willing to kind of speak out. And so kind of it, it, it kind of really got me a lot more into kind of supporting this England team than, than, than usual. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of felt. So, yeah, I'm someone who wouldn't necessarily kind of identify myself as I'm much more of a someone who follows sport casually. But it's something that's been helped along a lot for me by the nature of this England team, by the fact that they're just a lovely bunch of lads and also a lot of other reasons that I can't really repeat on the podcast. Uh, but, uh, you know, just follow, just follow some gays on Gay Twister and just look at what they're saying about Luke Shaw and, uh, and, and Jack Grealish and, and you probably understand. Um, but there we go. So, yeah, that's kind of where I stand. A bit disappointed because, you know, it would have been a, a lovely triumph for BLM, Marxism and, and you know, the eternal science. But, um, <laughs> alas, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really confident and happy because, you know, we got to the semi-finals in 2018. You know, we made it to the final this time and we've got a really wonderful young team and a really effective manager in Gareth Southgate. And, you know, I'm optimistic for, you know, if France lost the Euros when they had it on their home turf in 2016 and went on to win the World Cup next time, why can't we? That's a, that's a very good point. There was a, I saw a TikTok recently and it was like some <laughs> FA comptroller like old white guy was setting out his goals for like the next 20 years of England football. And he said... For the 2020 Euros, um, we want to we, we want to make the semi-finals, and then for the 2022 World Cup, we want to be in a position to win it. And you think if you look at those goals that are set in 2013, we're probably on pace. Julia, you're uh, a fan of the England team as well. Um, obviously, what, what were your thoughts on you know the tournament to a certain extent, but also the you know the lads, as it were? It's not like I I think I. I think during the World Cup, after Brazil was disqualified, you guys had like another game, and I supported and I I, I supported uh, England in that one. Like I usually don't necessarily support England, not not because like it's not like political. It's actually like very boring. It's because in '98 when I saw like Zidane like absolutely like schooling us, like I was like obsessed with the French national team. So like that's the team I usually support. In Europe, but like this team, I, 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 because I have so many English friends, I, I like, I was like, I want to do something cool with my friends, because like I, you know, I don't know, kill me. I like having friends and I like doing things with like people. So I decided to like support England. I also, you always support someone in like a, a championship that like you, you don't have like a team, like you always, because you want to have like a little bit of buy-in. And it was like lovely to support England in England in in, in this context because like all my friends are doing it and I was having fun with them and I was it was like part of like a group activity but also like like Tieran said they, they're like they're very likable you know I like I think like Rashford is like they're they're like I think also because it's like an aging thing like when you're young like they're just people they're like they they look like very much like they could be like you could be playing so like it's different, but like when you're like a bit older, like when you age out of the phase where you could be a footballer. Yeah, no, it's terrifying how many of these kids were born. Yeah, are, no, like, it, were born at a point where like they're really not going. Sweet. Yeah, no, well, no, it's not sweet. It's terrifying for me. You know, like I look at half these kids and I'm like, you understand none of the references from the Charlie XCX 1999 video, do you? This is scary I, to me. <laughs> I don't think I don't think they necessarily would, even if even if they were older. <laughs> But hey, like, no, watch that video. It's a classic. <laughs> but like, yeah, like it, because this team is like it's very young and very like sweet. Like to me, like it provokes like a very motherly feeling of like, ah, these these kids are adorable, you know. Like so that has been fun. And like also like, what am I gonna do? Like support Benzema, Black Bailey's co-workers. <laughs> I don't know. That was quite that. That was quite 
I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy that amount of malice. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I would like, I, I would like one you know evil his, player. I would like one def- evil player. Did you know that his defense was that he he was like, no, no, no. I just worded it in a way that sounded like it would be a shame if this leaked. <laughs> it's right. You know, maybe I might pull that on, on you one day, Julia. Who knows? <laughs> I think I think you both need to remember that I've I've got all the. Um, stems of the podcast i've got the raw audio so you know if anyone's going to go full benzema yeah, no, actually, point, it might, like, it might be yeah. <laughs> it's like it was like so like it's so funny to me but like you know i i am constantly a bit annoyed of like the harry kane hype but like you know he's objectively more likable than than, than a guy trying to blackmail his co-workers <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, so like, like what, that, what's that's... his fucking rap sheet? He accidentally voted for Brexit, or what's what? Like, that's a, that's uh, someone that's Brexit. subtextual meaning. Yeah, um, look, I'm saying it's easy to accidentally vote for Brexit, and although, yeah. and this is the thing though, this is the level we're at with the lovability. You know, part of the reason everyone loves Jack Grealish is because the man has never believably voted in his life. You know, isn't that just you know, He has reached the eternal state of grace of caring about nothing apart from his family, football. Going to Vegas, you know, that's the live, laugh, love for straight men. Yeah, I know we were like- <laughs> I'm gonna have to change that to the live, laugh, love for straight men because it's clearly not coming home at this point, but. <laughs> I, I I like, I know this is getting a bit like, but like, I, I don't care about the politics of footballers because like historically they tend to be quite bad, you know, because like- Well, no, that's definitely a big thing in Brazil, isn't it? Yes, yes. Like historically, they all tend to be very aligned with very right wing. Like there are, there are not not to like be like, well, no, there there have been no, there have there have been like very like important left wing movements which started as football thing. You have like Corinthian democracy. You know, if you like, if you want to like get into like Socrates, the footballers live, like he, there is like a lovely. Hey, Socrates like, was a footballer as well as a foot philosopher. Yeah, and he was Brazilian. <laughs> no, that's weak joke. Weak joke. Weak joke. <laughs> we um, have lots of laughs here in this spot in this podcast, but there's nothing <laughs> funny about being forced to drink poison. Don't do it. Yeah, no, drinking do drinking not, hemlock. Do not bad, eat bad hemlock. Move. It, it was literally the Tide Pods of it was the Tide Pods of the Athenian times. Like, don't drink hemlock. Just don't <laughs> do it. It's not cool. Don't go on what was what was the equivalent of TikTok? Like a water a water compass or something like that. Like, uh, yeah, do not do not drink hemlock to impress your friends. It is dumb. Yeah. You will not win the marathon. You will not get to go to the Olympics. I will turn this chariot around, and we will not invade Egypt. Yes, <laughs> to back on top, like, it's interesting because there, there is a bit of a difference between like, so obviously there is a real kind of socialist heritage in terms of British football. Uh, you know, Brian Clough, famously a massive socialist, although also a massive homophobe, but um, um, as yeah, as often. T- and yeah, uh, Alex Ferguson, one of the biggest donators to uh, one, uh, donators, one of the biggest donors to donators. Yeah, uh, one of the biggest donors to New Labour. And, you know, I think Gordon Brown was constantly pressuring for him to be given probably a knighthood but constantly pressuring pressuring for him to be given um a seat in the lords and i think he either said no or it just never turned out also gordon brown famously like huge on football loves football yes like loves wraith rovers but uh you were saying michael so uh, yeah i mean with with ferguson it's really interesting because like a lot of people like there are a lot um we'll get on to like the big brain liberals and football in a minute i think because it's just been really interesting to watch. Like, well, it's been interesting. It's just like you've never been to a football match in your life, have you? But they've been all like, "There's yeah. nothing that politicians can learn from football managers. There is nothing you can learn at all." And it's like, well, like during the New Labour years, like they had Ferguson in to like do like man management in the office and to like give Tony Blair advice on how to like manage his office. And like that is those there are transferable skills there, like understandably. But on the on the point of kind of like. The, the way that the shit libs have kind of dealt with the Euros. I've never been more annoyed at like a point where like people are like, please don't boo the anthems, guys. It's just not sporting. Oh it's my like, God. You're the, you're the home crowd at a international tournament. You're not there to wish the best of the other team. You're there to be a bear pit and intimidate them. Right. I do find booing the, 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 the anthems cringe, but like, I do think that this is part of a wider problem where people cannot say the word cringe. Yeah. They have to make it, they have to make it like a they huge have to make problem. an issue. Yeah, but at the end of the day, like 
we're talking about something that happened at a match that was, you know, in part one because a 76-year-old potato strangled a 19-year-old in the penalty box. Like, at the end of the day, there is a lot of shithousing kind of going on in these matches. I don't care that much if there is a bit of booing of national... Oh, it's not particularly oh, oh, sporting. Also, yeah, like, sports aren't particularly sporting a lot of the time. And also, like, the thing is, like, this, this, this pathetic, like self-martyrizing like liberal english thing that like i fucking hate like where they're like the only the only the only country that would do this is england like no other country would do this (laughs) Um, i'm so sorry i'm so sorry europe i'm so sorry i like by like by the end i was like no like you obviously have never watched football in your life if you think this is as bad as it gets people in brazil this is the thing they kind of a lot of these people at the stadium, like when when their team lose, this is not as bad as it gets. They throw fucking toilets. A lot of these people, it's fine. Do fundamentally view themselves as above and better than most football fans, and they really cannot hide it. Kind of a lot of the time, you see yeah. it really dripping out in terms of how they were commenting on stuff like the Leicester Square kind of like the flare up the ass yesterday. And I'm sorry, like I've no, um, funny. you know I've never seen a. Fl- it was funny. I've never seen a flare up my uh, uh, up an arse in my life. You know, I did enjoy that tweet left. yesterday. That hey, if you can get it up there, best of luck to you. Um, but um, <laughs> um, I've never seen a flare up an arse in my life. I've never seen a flare up my arse in my life. Wouldn't go for it. Seems like it'd be hot. Not in that way. Um, but um, <laughs> but like yeah, you know what? They were um, everyone was kind of moaning. It's like oh, look at the litter everywhere. Look at the litter. It's like number one, this is what happens literally when you have any crowd yeah. everywhere. People do. This this complaint every time after there's an extinction rebellion kind of much like oh they don't really care about the environment do they? it's like no this is just what happens when there are crowds people drop stuff it's bad this is why we hire street cleaners for fuck's sake like it's not great but it's how it goes and uh, the other thing that was like quite amusing yesterday is like you know seeing all of these football fans kind of like you know getting their tartars out and getting their nanas out and this this that and the other like you know ultimately it's quite fun that there is now that that we can point to every time they say oh you know look at how inappropriate it is having this pride march in public and all the inappropriate stuff that's happening so it's like no this is just kind of what happens whenever people have a bit to drink and, and and if anything actually pride actually kind of keeps it a bit more family friendly just you know just a bit but like if you're gonna have a go at if you're gonna have a go at us and go this is why we're not acceptable for society hello kind of look what's here would you know would you take your kids out of that either and most of them actually probably would because actually fundamentally what they're defending at the end of the day is white male supremacy um but that's a topic for another podcast um <laughs> yeah like it's kind of on the whole hooliganism thing. You know, the, the, there is one saving grace from us losing yesterday, and it's that we've been saved about a month's worth of discourse, um, which is which is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, sadly, you know, we've been saved only about 80% of it, and the other 20% of it is going to be absolutely hideous as ever. Um, uh, but, uh, like, one thing that really feels like it is going to be quite big in the discourse again is kind of turning on, oh, you know, the ugly face of uh, the fandom and of England, English nationalism. And, you know, there is one part of it that's got a fucking massive point, you know, just look at the comments section of rational Ashford, Saka, um, and and Sterling, that, and oh, what Sterling didn't Sterling take a penalty, but, no, did, but he's, he's been getting, he's been getting, yeah. But I imagine he he gets a lot of abuse. Um, uh, Sancho, so, and Sancho, Sancho, Sancho. There we go, there we go. I was trying to remember who took the other one. Uh, yeah, so Sancho, Saka, and Rashford got a, you know, you can see they got a huge amount of abuse. That's a really horrible side of the fandom, and there's a huge point at that that really links in, and you know reminds the whole point of like, yeah, this is exactly why they took the knee. This is exactly why they needed to take the knee. Chris Curtis, who works at Ipsos Mori, uh, the pollsters, he was kind of making the point yesterday of like pointing out exactly how the kind of culture war types who were booing um, the, the knee and defending the right to boo the knee were responding yesterday. And they were going, oh, this England team has kind of spent the last month kind of stirring up this kind of culture where it's like, well, n- no, that was that was actually literally just you. Like, I'm sorry. I feel like people, like, uh, am I going to be the one who has to point this out? This is the best English campaign ever. Yeah. If anything, they yeah. didn't get political enough. If anything, like the next yeah. time, you know. <laughs> but this is the thing. Every like, goal this would have been they should, they should be like, won. workers of the wor- world unite. Because like, <laughs> if, 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 if that's this what it takes, thing. this this was the best run. Yeah, you know? this was the best run that we've had in 55 years. And the, the thing is, is it's, it's quite... 
it's it's quite annoying to kind of just see the sort of double ways that it's cutting. Like you you would have claimed this England team if we'd won. Uh, you're now using it to like kind of go, oh, they've actually been dividing us all up. But actually, the really interesting thing about it is it just kind of reveals how out of touch they are because you kind of just can almost imagine people kind of hearing that if they are hearing it and just going, oh, fuck off, mate. If anyone's making this political, it's actually you. You're the one that's kind of bringing it up at this point. And also, like, I have, like, some thoughts about this, which is, like, like, a lot of people are, like, so out of touch with, like, the majority of people in Britain does find, like, they do know that, like, I'm not saying the majority of people in Britain, like, do that. It's just a small majority stuff. Like, I'm not going to say that. But, like, they, the majority of them are aware that calling a Black player a monkey is, like, beyond the pale, un- unacceptable, yeah. and, and, like, should not be done. The majority of people in Britain, like, does take a negative view, view of bigotry. They're, they're like, it, like yeah. they just think it's wrong. You know, and, and because of like, and I think a lot of people like they say that like there is like this tension where they're, where they where they like oh the English football team can never solve racism and it's like yeah no they can't it's like the more radical they can't, but it's not that job it's obviously black players course goal does not solve racism otherwise my grandfather would never have faced racism in his life that's not if Pele that's didn't not what... solve racism how are they expecting and you know. Th- I mean, Stephen Bush made this really kind of insightful. It's like the problem with the whole taking the knee thing is, is like I support it, but the problem is, is it's it's almost a bit, it's almost a bit defunct. Yeah, it's because that's what I'm saying. It's like I don't think most people understand that taking the knee to the majority of the British public, it's like it's not considered a radical act at all. It's it's considered an act of like, oh, here are the lads. They're really nice. It's like similar to. it's like similar to, to the to the rainbow uh armband where it's like yeah they think it's nice they think it's nice it's like oh that's a little thing that you're doing to show that the team is for everyone they don't like this is how out of touch these people are that they they're, even they're, doing they're that is seen as it. divisive yeah yeah like one interesting thing actually about the next 18 months is so obviously they were taking the rainbow armband Jordan Henderson did his quote tweet supporting a non-binary fan who went to a match and would have expected to get abused, but actually got a really good amount of support. Didn't get any, um, didn't get any abuse from the fans there. And so, and Jordan Henderson said, like, you know, you should feel safe uh, and comfortable at these things. And so you're really seeing kind of a lot of this solidarity kind of come out and particularly with also the Germany Hungary match um, and the protest kind of against UEFA. And I think one of the big things over the next 18 months will be i saw one person kind of speculating you know where's is this solidarity going to be there is this team going to pull out of the qatar world cup and i think you know that's probably a bit unrealistic you know russia literally killed somebody on our soil and that wasn't enough to that wasn't enough to get us to withdraw the national team from the world cup held on theirs uh you know i don't think they're going to pull out of the world cup as an act of solidarity on this but i think one thing that is reasonable to kind of actually that is kind of a bit of a question is are they going to maintain the same public solidarity when they're playing matches in Qatar and given the state of UEFA how they've been with some of the uh symbols that people have been doing uh and given the state of FIFA I think that's actually a much more kind of dangerous question as as to whether that's going to carry on um and so that's one that's really worth pressing over the next year there's a really interesting tension on um developed countries so like Here's the thing. The majority of people, a majority of footballers, they, I'm not saying that they're like, they're like ripe for like being center right because they're basically like young millionaires in a hugely like capitalistic, you know, exploitative. Although a lot like, of them are from, a lot of them are from working class backgrounds. So they're sure, almost like, like they've like, seen like, both sides of it. Sure, but like being from a working class background does not stop you from like immediately wanting your. It doesn't stop you moment, from being a bit of a. It doesn't stop you from being a bit of a Tory. My point is like the tension is that the like the sort of like right the sort of like center right and by center right I mean like standard center right I don't mean like um I don't mean a Tory member I mean somebody who occasionally votes Tory if they bought small to vote. conservative views yeah. Yeah. Is that this this person is like increasingly like they don't like they like taking a knee 
they like the the rainbow the uh the rainbow orange band they they like that stuff they think they think yeah it's it's they think it it would be good if capitalism could like not destroy the earth and also be more inclusive quite a lot of, quite a lot of voters are like that surprisingly like they, yeah. they also, but they also don't want to pay taxes like it's it's like the way that like you know you see some tories like not being able to realize it it is a sign of how, like, it is a sign of how, like, their coalition is so focused on the old that, like, they're missing, like, obvious chances because I feel that, like, I don't know, Carrie Simmons probably, like, is aware that, like, the average footballer isn't, like, like a leftist. You know what I mean? Because she's 33. We really went in two directions with that one. <laughs> it's, like, an age thing. But I also, like, because FIFA is like so corrupt like and this is this brings me to the cop america which was like done with the explicit aim and like i was really mad at everybody i, I didn't say this but like i was really mad at everyone who was watching the cop america like i was really mad because like it was done with the explicit aim of a government that was like explicitly killing brazilians and explicitly like refused to answer pfizer's emails to pfizer wanted to make a, like brazil like the main example of like the first country to end coronavirus and like he explicitly did not answer the emails and he answered the email and he chased after the cop america to get a boost because he was explicitly inspired by the the brazilian dictatorship and what they did in the 70s in the war in the height of repression to torture people and like i i i'm glad that messi got a title but like it should not have been this title because this cop america should not have happened mm. you know what i mean I like hmm. I was like supporting like Argentina because fuck Brazil, but also like this should this should never have happened, and like because hmm. FIFA is so bankrupt, like morally what, what, what and you, ethically and in terms of their accounts, yeah, possibly a little bit. Or where you get is these motivated by their accounts? Are, like where you get the are these sanctions where like developing countries who want to use the World Cup and other events like that as their mm. their their stage they they're gonna clash with like players that are like increasingly like no i don't want to play in this homophobic country or like or no i think it's mm. wrong they're like and, and and like this is like a real tension a, a oh, yeah i mean there's a long and, history of this there's a really long history of this stuff i mean you look at the 1978 world cup which was hosted in argentina while it was literally under a military dictatorship and they really went full 1936 kind of uh not quite not quite full 1936 olympics in terms of using it to kind of glorify this but they they used it quite a lot in that sort of sense and there is a real blind eye that is turned by fifa to these things because they are much more willing to prioritize other goals like you know expanding football and its support around the world possibly expanding their bank accounts you know yeah. <laughs> either or i mean yeah i, I don't I, both of these I, things going on I think you're doing them too much of a service to say, like, you know, like, okay, the 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 overt aim is expanding football around the world. Like, it's bribery. These people get bribed. They take big fat bribes to host these tournaments in places yeah. where it makes no sense to host them. The addition, if in case FIFA is trying to sue, it does hear this and does try to sue us. You know, we are referring to the uh, many many cases, uh, the historical cases. Convicted. Yeah, yes. I got an email from TSR's <laughs> legal team, and it just says, ah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you, you've seen this like coming into the upcoming World Cup and the fact that it's being hosted in Qatar, a country that you know, without being too much of a football a snob, has no footballing pedigree whatsoever, has no like you know, has no football culture there, and and they've had to completely move the entire season around to accommodate the fact that football can't be played there because it's too fucking hot. And I just think at that point, like as a football footballing organization, it makes no sense. Like, what, like, why do you even exist with, like, any semblance of, like, oh, yeah, we're, like, a legal and professional body or whatever? It's like, just just be the cartoon pantomime villains. Just just, just, just own it at that point. Because, and In what sense are they not the cartoon no, pantomime no, this, 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 villains? I mean, this, 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 you mean, but, like, you know, at least, you know, like, put on the funny hat. Because you look at what's going on in Qatar as well in terms of the fact that, like, these stadiums have been built with literal slavery. And, like, you know, you wait for, like... Oh, the air conditioned, which is an absolute disaster for the... I mean, how... The hell do you air condition a massive stadium so it's appropriate for football like well i mean at least it does give us more chance of winning next year because it'll be slightly more similar to the uh to the english climate in summer once it's been air conditioned yeah, but, but like, oh my god how many people how many people are going to die so england can win the world cup next year oh my god 
<laughs> sorry to bring it down sorry to bring... <laughs> but yeah no like we so the discourse we've been saved kind of quite a lot of discourse kind of as a result of not winning but i think you know there is now kind of a bit more that's focused on the dark side of it you know partly the hooliganism um that's going on and you've had a lot of people looking down on the kind of violence that there, that there was yesterday and that i think is completely right um uh, because but it's one of those things that you kind of almost see as an inevitable part of it to quote obviously we've we've made a huge progress on you know getting things down from the awful point where they were at the 80s during the 80s so to think of the great sort of right-wing sage of our times Lana Del Rey uh, you know one thing that she said after the Capitol riots and she said you know you know I've only really got one thing to say about this but I think this is one of the most important things I'll say and it's actually in today's society people really lack a chance to like pe people really don't have much of a chance to walk to wild out and I think actually that really manifests in a lot of really unhealthy ways as a result of that. You know, it almost builds up like a pressure cooker because we don't have that release that we normally have. And so a lot more of these times you kind of see sort of the, the final of the Euros and the scenes that we saw yesterday in Leicester Square where people with people throwing bottles. And, and actually there isn't, you, you get a lot of people kind of looking down on that going, oh, you know, this shows that why we shouldn't have this, isn't this disgusting? It's like... Yes, it kind of is. You don't, no one wants to see a public space kind of treated that way. Although I will say if anywhere should see that sort of kind of destruction, it should be Leicester Square, which is just an absolute hole. And I say that as a massive London chauvinist, we don't really kind of have those ways that people can kind of let that out and let, let that sort of uh, urge out in society. And that's one reason why we do end up kind of, I think, with a lot of that sort of, I mean, it, it didn't really necessarily budge. I, I imagine there was violence yesterday, but you know, and it was nothing compared to how things were in the 80s. But you kind of look at that judgment and you almost see kind of in my, in my it's almost like in microscopic form, kind of a, a lot of the kind of conflicts we've had over the last five years playing out. But I think that's pretty much that, which is kind of a little bit more of a sort of, oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? genteel kind of like oh the unwashed mashes uh, masses yeah, smashing yes. bottles in public that part's less kind of uh, that part's less kind of uh, justified so much obviously much more justified is the racial abuse that the likes of rashford saka sancho are kind of uh, headed in for and obviously that's exactly why they took the knee um so upside we've been I, saved a lot of discourse downside it's not great what's left i just think that like so on on a serious note the, the the racial abuse that they're getting is horrible and i, and I want to say something because i said you know the stuff about brazil earlier neymar neymar like got like a, a really really big push of like racial abuse that that's not acceptable like it's not acceptable because i, I see a lot of people going like oh they're a great bunch of lads they're great players and like no 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 even if they were all unmitigated horrible people playing there it's not acceptable to racially abuse someone Especially racially yeah. abused, like, and and I take this very seriously because this is something I've seen I've seen happen in my family. You know what I mean? It's not acceptable to call somebody like a monkey. It's not. It's not. It's like not okay. I feel that like people are trying to sort. People want like it's not that they want, but like a lot of people are being too fast to assume that this is actually the whole of the experience. And like, no, at no point did anyone think that once England won with a diverse team, then racism would be over. Like, nobody thought that. Like, you don't have to say this because nobody actually thinks this. What, but sometimes it's nice that things aren't unrelentingly horrible. It's good that we've come to this point. It's even good that like the prime minister, even though he's a complete shithead, has like, is forced politically to say, it's not acceptable to racially abuse players. It's it's good. It's not good because he's a good person. It's good because it's a sign that not doing it will waste political capital. Was, I'm not I'm not trying to say that like I'm not trying to say that like you know this matters less. But it's just that like in the same way we still don't have an out footballer. It matters a lot that like footballers feel okay to say you know, hey, I'm really glad that we have gay fans you know members of the lgbt community coming and feeling safe in our in our stadiums i feel like that matters and it doesn't matter because that's the whole activism it matters because that's a point of how far that society has come and like i don't mean to get too into the sad gay stuff but like one of the reasons like i used to follow football quite a lot when i was young and one of the reasons why i sort of like stopped following quite quite as much is because it was very marked as a you know, it's a thing that you're going to do 
because it makes you look like a massive lesbian. And you know, had I known what I know this, I would have kept going. But but like, but you know what I mean? It, homophobia is a thing that, that is used to like keep people away. And it's good when you see that stopping. It's good that what that like I love that like I've I've slowly found like a community of gay fo- football fans. Like, you know, gay as an LGBT. Like, I, I think that's great. And I think like, I remember my friend who is like in Brazil and he like, he wrote a text saying, I'm so sick of like people looking down on the LGBT organized organized fan fans, like, like mocking them. And he got like an amount of hatred that was like absurd. This was in 2014. And now like, we do see Brazilian teams like wearing like rainbow stuff and saying again we're against homophobia and saying like please don't use slurs when you're like cursing you know the other team because it's not okay and like did this solve homophobia no did this stop Bolsonaro from being elected no like is this going to be the thing that like fixes everything no but it means something you know things don't have to be complete victories to be appreciated and it's nice that like the English football team, you know, did its little bit and it would it would have been really, really nice if they won, you know, and, but I'm still really proud of them for getting this far. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, the, the idea of like total victories with things, it just, you know, it's, it, it, it plays into that, oh, you need to stick to football, like, you know, put, you know, you can't do politics. It's like, no, no, like, you know, standing in solidarity with people, it's not the whole answer to the question, but like, it carves out spaces that were previously exclusionary and, and, you know, makes them more inclusive and that can only ever be a positive thing. I think on, if we go back to the issue of, of like the hooliganism yesterday, I think, uh, well, you know, su- Sunday um, at the time of recording, again, I think that was a kind of like specific issue, like failure on the part of UEFA in terms of one, the organization of the game. So like, generally speaking, if you've got like what organizers think will be like a hot kickoff, you put it at 12 30 you put it at three o'clock you're not you're not going to put it like at the end of the day you don't give them a day a whole day to drink yeah which is just a bit daft and i you know i've been on away days with argyle and we have been like fully bubbled from the train station to the ground and you know that is you know i'm not saying obviously like you know the police don't cause problems in that situation as well but like there is a there is a way of managing these games that simply wasn't put on the ground by organizers by uefa and and by the people kind of running the show there and and you know that that doesn't you know maybe that's the the thing you know they've kind of like forgotten how to do it over the past 18 months maybe they're just naive but that was a huge problem on the day but as well as this as well i think like what we saw from the kind of like I, i've just been really annoyed like obviously like the right-wing hacks have really pissed me off over this tournament because they're just insufferable bastards and like you know they're really easy to hate but i've also found what's been particularly annoying is just like we mentioned them earlier the shit libs who've never watched football who are like Tyrion, you were saying this earlier, like, oh, you know, these cultured Italians coming over and like their fans are so great and they're these like, cultured and, Italians. And, and, and they're coming over and they're like, our, our unwashed English fans are making them uncomfortable by booing them. It's like, have you watched like one yeah. game of Syria? Have you seen like, have you heard of what like the ethos behind like Lazio football also, like, is? And like, there is like literally nothing. The problem with Italian that- fans is they're very proud of invent- and they're very proud of being the ori- of being the original inventors of both pizza and fascism. Like they are not genteel. Yeah, like, like imagine going sake. like, oh, I'm taking a stand against racism by supporting the Italian team. It's Do you like- know where the word fascism comes from? And it's just like I like I, I even if we could like even if we're to like like detach ourselves from like oh like stuff that happens in the thir- in the thirties and forties, which we shouldn't, by the way, because like Italian. Well, no, culture- but the problem is, is like half the fans. Yeah, want, they have, half the but, Italian like, fans like, want to go back to the thirties. In two thousand nineteen, in two thousand like- nineteen, you they they did a raid on a bunch of Juventus ultras, right? The the Italian police did, and if you were to like raid your average like let's take Tyrion's team, Millwall ultras, right? One of the far right. No, no, sex- no, 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 too soon. No. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> if, 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 if we were to do a raid 
on a Millwall Ultra's house, not Tyrion, obviously, because he's not a Millwall Ultra yet. Um, you would find like like far right hey, material. You don't know me. <laughs> you you probably find like far right material. You'd probably find like a BMP membership card, right? And that would probably be the end of it. The raids they did on these Juve Ultras, they found knives, they found pistols, they found semi-automatic weapons, and then they found a fucking rocket launcher. Like th- this is like the level of like organized violence that like the Italian football culture is like set up towards. I, like, feel, like these... a, I feel like a real goal for the stuff I need to have. Yeah, no, like, here's the thing. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to be real, really honest here. I'm sorry you got bullied at school by like, I'm, I'm so, I, I got bullied Michael at school as well because of like, because of like homophobic stuff, but like, you know what? I kind of got over it. And like, I, like, I, yes. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you like... hated the football kids when you were at school. I'm sorry you get terrified when someone kicks a ball at you. You're 35. Get over it. And, and like, just so it's clear, Michael isn't saying this. It's just, it's, it's just the two true gays. You know, like, my, <laughs> yeah, Michael is I'm, I'm, I, like, this is this is us dealing with our own with our own people yeah. here. Michael like, is saying, I'm just, I'm just saying, after thirty, Shaka. if you're still being brought down, if you're still being brought down by your school insecurities after the age of thirty, that's on you. You need to do the work on that. I mean, I, I can have a go at Gary Lineker for being a shit lib, but you know, like, I, I, I do just think it was like. At least but, he isn't that kind of shit lib. I mean, no, he was like, oh no, don't boo the anthem. Like, he get is a grip. The original shit lib. Yeah. Literally, uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners who are mercifully unaware, um, I think it was a World Cup match back when he uh, when he used to play football. There is uh, footage of Gary Lineker shitting himself oh. on the pitch and then wiping his ass along the turf like a dog, like a dog, like, like dragging his yeah. ass along. <laughs> It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's on YouTube. You can find it, and it, it, it's brilliant. But like, you know, like, like I can't believe I missed that reference. I literally taking. think you Paula Radcliffe yesterday. What this is? What what Saka shouldn't have shat? What? Oh, he should have sat and shat himself so he didn't get his fucking. <laughs> no, he should be thinking about this all the time. He's team. like, Gary Lineker is fine. He shat himself yeah, in you know. public. He literally shat himself in public, and he's fine. I thought you were literally suggesting Saka should have shat himself so the eighty-year-old potato didn't strangle him. Like that would have been one maybe, way to keep him away. Maybe he should have. <laughs> Shat himself so Gareth Southgate would be like, maybe I should send a 19-year-old to take a penalty for his team. Like, I don't yeah, know. he's already shat himself. I maybe I can't, Crazy. maybe yeah. <laughs> he shat himself in fear. Like, I don't know. Like on, on, I, I mean, uh, aside from... uh, but just like to just go back about like what you were saying about wins earlier of like, you know, not everything is a total win. Like, um, one thing that I think we can actually low-key notch up as a win is the fact that you know they did the whole oh taking the knee, that's cultural Marxism. And it just didn't stick. And, yeah, you know, I think that's one absolutely. thing. That's one thing that, you know, that is a positive. You know, it actually led to support going up for taking the knee. Now, I really hope we don't get a poll this time next week now showing, oh, support for taking the knee has now gone back down after we lost the final. Because, you know, that, I mean, that's the sort of the part of the thing that I'm worried might might happen. But I hope it won't. And I think it might not. But, you know, I saw someone say yesterday, it's like, oh, you know, after they did the whole kind of, the England team of cultural Marxist scripts yesterday, the right have successfully reversed it with no issue at all, which just goes to show pointing out their hypocrisy never works. And I'm just like, well, okay, number one, what do you want here? You know, in the words of friend of the podcast, Hugh Um, But also like, the thing is, I think some people, you know, not obviously not that many people will have noticed the whole Farago around taking the knee in the lead up to the Euros. That's the sort of story that, you know, probably about 30% of people might have noticed about, 10% of people might have been able to kind of recall it spontaneously. And I think you're getting down to below 5% for the number of people who will have specifically noticed and kept in mind an actual kind of Tory government position on that. You know, they might think, oh, I suppose, you know, maybe Boris said something on it. Maybe he kind of went halfway between the two. I'm not sure that many people will have noticed that Priti Patel said much about it, sadly, because, you know, I'd really love that to be held against her. But, you know, it is a good thing that they had to kind yeah. of back off from that as everything goes. Yeah, Not no, everything we, we, is a Tory we've win. Won. We've yeah. won. It's like, yeah. it's like when, it's like when, it's that thing that Thatcher said about New Labour being her greatest success. You know, like Boris Johnson having to say like, oh no, 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 actually guys, taking the news fine, don't boo, don't boo. Like, that says winning. Mm. Like, you want the Tory government to be forced to do this. Like, oh, it, it points out, like, they had to immediately come around to our point of view. This shows that pointing out hypocrisy never wins. 
No, but we've gotten something bigger, didn't we? We've gotten the government yeah. to like we won the uh, uh, care. as we're as we're normally quite fond of pointing out after we've lost. You know, this time we've literally, well, no, literally after we lost yesterday. Um, but as we're quite fond of pointing out, yeah, yeah, no, that's actually what England winning the Euros uh, represents for the left. You know, we lost, but we won the argument. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a, a tournament as an England fan to be incredibly proud of. We went further than we thought we'd be able to. And I think as well as the great performances on the pitch, the ethos around the team, Gareth Southgate's tactical decisions notwithstanding. I, I think it was... I, I think it was cool that he sent a 19-year... Like, I think it is really cool that Gareth Southgate treats those boys like sons, so he's transmitting his genetic trauma. He's like, here's my generational trauma that has burdened me my entire life. I'm passing on to you, Saka. You're like a son to me. Oh, God, that poor boy. Gareth Southgate is the Bojack Horseman of the England national team. I think it's been really positive in the fact that the players, as well as, well as their performances on the pitch, obviously we didn't see as much as Rash- likes of Rashford as we would have liked, maybe. It wasn't in great form, let's be honest. But their platforms were so prominent throughout this and you think of the work that Rashford's done on the issues of holiday hunger free school meals and now obviously it's coming back into the news in terms of universal credit and the end to the 20 quid a week uplift I think it's only going to get more and more prescient that we've got figures like this who are now you know held in, in in pretty good public acclaim at the minute and I think that you know the the issue of especially something like universal credit which is it expanded its reach so much over the past year. So many more people have come into contact with the system, found out how fucking horrible it is to deal with on any level, how how meagre it is. I think it, it, having champions like that on a national stage who are now you know well-loved by the British public, or the English public anyway, I, I think is only going to be a good thing. But you know what, what's coming down the track for universal credit at the minute, other than the kind of obvious that Rishi Sunak is being a horrible bastard. I am like extremely labor brain about universal credit. Like literally like everything Johnny Reynolds has been saying, I've been, I've been going like, like I've been going like, yes, I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Because like, here's the thing, you can't escape ideology in the end. And we've been, I've, I've been saying this thing about how like the stuff about uh, these, this like gesture politics are actually not that huge. Well, the flip side is that there are things that are huge and they're like deeply ideological. And here's the thing, Rishi Sunak for all the, 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 the cutely, cutesy, hugsy, you know, I'm a cuddly Tory. He is like an absolute monster when it comes to these issues. Like he's as bad as any of them, if not worse, because he's doing this knowing that this is gonna cause harm. He knows this is unpopular and he doesn't care because this is what he believes in. And like, it's just like like it's so wicked and like and i see people saying things like well you know this was i think was carolyn harris and she was making she was making a good point about how like this is like not like a luxury thing it's like this this is gonna be like to feed like kids and feed people it's not gonna be like a a simple thing it's not gonna be like a coffee and a cake and i was like well but if it's it is a coffee and a cake i hope they fucking spend it like this is this is something like that it comes down to like things that I just believe in. I just believe that like everyone should have the right to buy a coffee and a cake, even if they're in ben- on benefits. I don't think benefits should be a punishment. I I just don't. I think that I think you should have the right to buy a coffee and a cake. And it's just like it's just it's just malicious and terrible. So just to sort of like give a summary of obviously where the story is at at this point. Um uh, Rishi Sunak, backed up by Boris Johnson, however much that means, um, has uh, said uh, uh, that the Universal Credit £20 uplift will be ending this autumn, um, that he'll be phasing out the £20 uplift that came in last year for uh, the period of the pandemic. Um, and this is something that has been very divisive, actually, within the Tories, surprisingly enough, uh, you know, contrary to what a lot of people might expect. Back in uh, February, March time, Rishi Sunak basically died on a hill to try and stop the uplift and eventually was forced to back down because the pandemic looked like it was going to carry on. And there were quite a lot of Tory backbenchers who were really vociferously against uh, the uplift ending um, about uh, uh, the split within the party is probably about a third of Tory MPs are um, were opposed to the uplift back in March. Uh, sorry, were opposed to the uplift being cut 
back in March and about two thirds are the more kind of Osborneites, the idea of like, oh no, well, it needs to be less so they can be motivated to go out and get a job. And that particular viewpoint is uh, summed up kind of a, a bit, as Julia said, by Andrew Rosendell uh, talking to Caroline uh, Harris uh, last week saying, oh, you know, this 20 pound, it is, it is kind of more of a luxury. And, you know, I, I speak as someone who is on benefits, I'm on a universal credit as well as the personal independence payment. Um, so hopefully I might miss the worst of it if it does go through, uh, because obviously they've said that they top up, well, last time they made it sound like they might top up personal independence payment, but they were very keen to cut universal credit because in their eyes it's a six billion pound a year spend and they see much more worthy things to spend it on you know obviously Rishi Sunak is someone who went into politics because he thinks George Osborne was right about everything um, and so he kind of looks at it as oh you know we could be spending this money on things like uh, you know cutting fuel duty or cutting a penny off income tax because you know fundamentally he thinks people who own their own house are worth more than the, the likes of me uh, you know that's a, uh, that's that's just the long and the short of how he views life uh, or at least more worthy of government spending more worthy of government spending Andrew Rosendell said last week oh you know well not everyone necessarily needs this 20 pounds extra a week some of them for some of them it's a bit of luxury and, you know speaking for myself it's the difference between uh you know at the moment the universal credit part of what I get each month is 400 and uh 417 pounds I think uh and that goes down to 324 pounds a month and <laughs> let me tell you it is not fun living on it is not fun living on that kind of amount even with the personal independence payment top up you know it I am a few days away from getting paid and you know I have basically been on zero kind of in my account for the the last for, for the last uh, last few days and that's basically the case that it of, of how is uh, every month um uh, which you know i'm sure quite a lot of listeners might relate to quite a lot who are in quite low paid work um it, it's really difficult and you know i'm someone who gets all of my shopping basically from aldi anyway without much uh, in the terms of luxury so i'm someone who's quite worried kind of uh in the in the lead up to october and the one thing that i'm taking some solace from is the fact that this is going to cause the tories i think a lot of issue because there is a really good reason why that third of tory mps are opposing this cut and it's because you know they can smell the political wind a lot of them are based in red wall seats now obviously a lot of people will think that you know a lot of red wall seat type tories are you know more or less kind of a step to the left of, of uh libertarian fascists uh in terms of thinking no public spending but you know don't spare the rod uh you know everyone thinks of the likes of ben bradley uh you know lee anderson who said that pete benefit claimants should have to work in um you know have to work in work camps and be forced to pick veg vegetables uh, during the 2019 election campaign. Obviously, you've got a lot that have got really retrograde views on this, but you've also got a lot of red wall Tory MPs who, you know, have recognised that over the last year, a lot of people have been dependent on universal credit and a lot of people whose votes they rely on. And so this is something that is going to cause the Tories a lot of issue because there is really strong feeling around this, actually almost akin to how there is around foreign aid uh, when uh, the government managed to swerve a vote on that a few weeks ago. And the other really dangerous thing for the Tories is the problem is, is now we're in a position where the third that are against cutting this are the ones who are on the side of the public. So it's something that's almost perfectly configured to cause the Tory party some issues, particularly also looking at how the economy is likely to be heading in the autumn. You know, you've got a lot of hospitality uh, kind of companies that are going under. You've got society reopening, but you've also got a lot of people self-isolating. Um, which means that even those that do manage to kind of stay open, they're not necessarily going to get the most in the way of trade. You're going to have a lot of reasons why people are still really dependent on universal credit. You know, a lot of people who are on universal credit are still in work. You know, part of the point of the benefit is, is that it rolls all of them into one. So you've got a lot of people who have had what was effectively kind of a top up to really low incomes kind of who are still on this. And so it's going to cause some real difficulties. And that's basically the only silver lining that I can find from this because, you know, I always love to see, I always love to see Alien versus Predator when the Tories are involved because, you know, whoever wins, I win because I got to see Tories tear the shit out of each other. But also at the end of the day, uh, whoever wins, we lose because the Tories obviously, obviously always inevitably win. But this is something that I think is going to cause them real issues because Stephen Bush and the new statesman obviously made the point a few months ago that this is almost kind of like the parallel of the immigration debate for Labour in the noughties in that it was something that they could neither 
distract from, they couldn't put it aside, they couldn't answer the demand because fundamentally two thirds of their MPs were really pissed off um, with the position. But a third of MPs were almost on the side of the public, but it was almost impossible to kind of carry on with that and keep the party happy. And we all saw how the immigration debate ended for Labour and for the country at large. And so it actually gives me a bit of hope that they're going to try cutting universal credit and that it's really not going to go well for them at all. As after all, Rashford demonstrated every single time he forced them to U-turn last year whenever they were being misers on free school meals. Ultimately, you know, maybe Corbyn was right. We lost the election, but we're actually starting to win the argument quite a lot in terms of welfare and in terms of the public agreeing with us. I, I will say, I will say like, you know, I'm incredibly triggered by it, but like, you know, you know, like, I do think that like, this is the difference between having an okay uh, shadow minister and having somebody that you can see he really cares about this. And I think Jonathan Reynolds is like really put in the work. Like he, he like s- talks about, like even with all problems with the labor, with the labor messaging that it has, like you can see that it's something that like it affects uh, like that he cares about and like he's actually like like i think they said like the labor party is not returning to its like old lines about you know benefits and such like they're like actually like taking advantage of the fact that like the public is on their side and like you know i think they said like they they would take they they would use whichever parliamentary means they they could to like ensure that they, there will be a vote on it and to try to block it. I'll like, try, but it didn't really end very well when they tried that with foreign aid. Although hopefully that should actually come yeah, to sure, a head like, at some point like, in the you're, next few you're months. in opposition with a, with a majority of 80. Like there's nothing you what can else? do. Yeah, what else can like, you do? Yeah. And I think and I think it's important that like, that, that like whatever happens, I don't want to see the Labour Party reverting to, the, to, to, to that sort of like position where they're, where they're just being wicked. And like, it, it, it's, it is just me, like, I am the first person to say it's bullshit that Ed Miliband gets, like, a whole redemption arc, and, like, I am not the person who hates Ed Miliband, I'm sorry, like, but, like, it is bullshit that he gets a whole redemption arc, and Rachel Reeves has to bear, like, the words that she said, as horrible as it is, as they were, for the rest of her life, that because she said Because, ultimately, Rachel Reeves was doing her. because Ed Miliband told her, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I <laughs> You know, I'm sorry, like, he told her to, don't don't speak over me, mansplainer. Like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, but like, you know, I am the person who says that, but also, you know, in the end of the day, the things that those people, that, that the people in the Labour Party were doing and saying, and they knew that we were wrong and they kept doing anyway, is absolute bullshit. And they deserve to, to get Corbyn in, but because of it, you know, you, you said that like Corbyn is a point that like we've won the argument. I think that it's different. I think Corbyn is a point that like the argument had begun to change at that point. Like, but by the time that thing rolled around, anyone who like who could like tap into this would have would have caused yeah. anyone with a bit of sense would have. So like, you know, this is why I don't take Andy Burnham seriously. <laughs> because, you know, he, he should have been able to be like, oh, maybe the winds are changing, you know you know maybe things are changing maybe i shouldn't blow this coronation i don't know that's just a thought of mine that people shouldn't blow their coronation you know but like at the end of the day like this is like something that it's gonna it's gonna keep coming back and i think it i think it's like just for once i think it's good that the labor party is not in a place where like you can't be sure of what is going on and you know I do want to say, you know, good work to Jonathan Reynolds for that. You know, it, it, it matters that we have like somebody who is reliable and trustworthy. And like, I really like rate him on the, those stuff as opposed to like having like, you know, people like Rishi Sunak who are ideologically against benefits, basically. I, I think yeah. the, the point about Johnny Reynolds specifically, I think he's been so impressive. I mean, my mum my is kind of like, I bring up as the other example of like the kind of like middling information left of centre voter. And whenever she sees him on like, you know, like BBC News at six or whatever, like she, she's always, she always really, really, really rates him. And I think that's a really good sign in terms of, you know, the kind of people, you know, who we need to for Labour to continue to, you know, have a chance at getting into office. I also think if we're bringing up Corbyn as well, it's like the party has obviously changed since he he left office. And I think um, it's, you know, in a lot of ways it changed for the better, but like welfare policies under Corbyn were, were crap, like were just straight up crap. And there was no, you know, in, in an era of grand ideas under Corbyn, 
we basically had nothing to say on benefits in 2017 and 2019 it was it was very scattergun there were good ideas but like you know it's it's like with like the oh you know the 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 policy that is the national education service like it's just a catchphrase it's not a policy when you say like oh we're going to scrap universal credit and replace it with something better that's a catchphrase it's not a policy so i think you know having someone like johnny in who is basically like across the party respected liked detail orientated and he, and is clearly like julia said like he gets emotional about the issue like it means something to him i think is so important and, it, and and it's good that we've got someone like him in place obviously it's not just universal credit he's got down the line as well because we have got the issue of the pension triple lock coming under threat imminently i think if we can talk, talk just briefly about this what are the it's it's if you know for younger people there are a range of discourses around it obviously but is it a particularly sticky wicket for the Labour Party Tyrion? I don't know that it's a particularly sticky wicket for the Labour Party um you've got a real kind of growing resentment about because obviously you know at the same it's 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 the timing of it almost almost seems almost seems perfectly done to kind of generate resentment against it you know um so to just kind of elaborate a little obviously you had the story last week that it's up to it's uh, due to go up by eight percent because the way the triple lock works is either by uh, inflation, uh, the consumer price index, which is obviously a basket of goods. Uh, it goes up by the measure of the increase in average wages, or it goes up by two point five percent. And the crucial thing is, is whatever of those three measures is the highest, it goes up by that amount. So this year, wages are set to go up by quite a lot, obviously, because the uh, economy is rebounding and a lot of people are going back into going back into work. Uh, so it's projected that it will go up by eight percent now obviously this has had quite a lot of resentment uh from some people who basically look at the last decade of what in their view is you know the boomers winning everything you know they got leave they've got the tory government through basically every time uh, and that all the spending and uh, all the rest has been cut but pensions haven't so a lot of people are thinking oh you know why should the oldest in society get yet another win while everyone else is being uh, buggered over uh, by, for example, you know, universal credit being cut. And I think one thing that's really important to remember kind of during all of this is that, well, I mean, pensions are still the lowest that they are in, uh, among the lowest in in Europe um, and uh, in terms of the state pension. So even though it, it has been kind of kept and maintained quite generously over the last decade, it still hasn't reached to that point. The, the entire point that the triple lock was brought in, I think, under New Labour was to actually bring up some of the lowest pensioner incomes up to a point where, you know, fuel poverty wasn't a thing. You know, uh, uh, an older friend of mine was saying, you know, the joke in his playground used to be, you know, what's what's blue and fucks pensioners? Hypothermia. And, and that's almost like a, an, an, a, a kind of a relic from another era that you don't get that kind of poverty anymore and it's while it's I, I can kind of understand to some degree kind of the idea the, the resentment of all oh, right you know the oldest in society they're the ones who basically had everything go their own way uh, I think it would just be really short-sighted to kind of oppose this and I don't think Labour is actually kind of in a position where it's looking like it might oppose this uh, because you know I do think they recognize that <laughs> we don't do particularly well with old people as it is this would basically kind of amount to a declaration of war against one of the uh, you know one of the most notoriously touchy uh, voting constituencies uh, in the country that, you know, as a rule does tend to turn out and vote. But also I think it would be pretty short-sighted as well because, uh, you know, in a previous life I, I worked in, in PR and uh, I also worked in PR for a lot of kind of retirement income kind of advisors and companies and one of the big problems that they were looking at a lot of the time was that defined benefit pensions which was basically like right okay you work for us you'll be given this amount when you retire uh, a lot of those private funds are uh, have over the last kind of 20 years turned out to be complete disasters uh, monetarily because they were they were um calculated on assumptions of how long people would live into retirement that have turned out to be wildly undershot and so they've had to pay out way more and loads of them are going bankrupt and so you've had uh, you, you've seen a lot of protests kind of over the last uh, over the last decade from the likes of UCU um uh, um over a lot of defined benefit pension schemes where they've tried to make them take cuts and and they've basically been having none of it. And so this is why over the last 10, 20 years, there's been a pivot from DB to DC, divine contribution pensions. And there have been things like uh, the automatic, uh, the automatic put in the fact that you're all, uh, from when you start your first job, you're automatically signed up to a pension scheme and uh, your employer matches that to try and get around this. But even so, for most 
people our age, we're not likely to see pensions, uh, private pensions, as generous as the those um, who are currently, you know, in the boomer generation. And you know that actually adds to the result. You know, why should you get the really lucrative pensions and a positive state pension? But the, it's almost kind of quite short-sighted, actually, almost to oppose it on that basis because you know, given we're not going to have really generous private pensions. Surely that, if anything, adds to the argument for why we should make sure we have really generous state pension. And that's the thing. It's not a thing that really, it's almost kind of comes from the view of, you know, we're paying for it from our taxes, which is almost kind of that sort of short-sighted, um, and I keep saying short-sighted, which is almost that view of government spending is paid for by our taxes, which isn't really exactly true. And, and so people kind of almost see it as we're getting all the downside of we're having to pay for it, but we're not necessarily going to get it because people have almost become quite fatalistic about the idea that for some reason the triple lock is going to get scrapped at some point. And my view on this is that it isn't going to be scrapped unless by our own hands. And so basically we're the only people who can fuck ourselves over on this. So I, do, I think it would be a terrible idea for Labour to oppose this. And I think it's a terrible idea for anyone of our generation to oppose this increase. Because ultimately, you know, even be, even besides that, there are a lot of people who are not particularly well off, who don't have uh, good private pensions who are in the boomers. You know, this is one thing where I very much say, keep your eye on class, don't keep your eye on generation when it comes to this sort of thing. Also, because we're going to really fucking need it when we get there. So yeah, I, 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 I'm really opposed to the triple lock kind of being ended. And it, and also uh, it looks a little bit like the Conservatives might be trying some kind of accounting trick to make it so that the 8% thing work, um, being watered down so it maybe goes over two years or whatever and I just think look at the sorts of people who are cheering that sort of thing on you're looking at the spectator you're looking at the ASI you're looking at the IEA it's like no no no, no. as a rule if you're on the left and you're arguing for something and you're completely agreeing with the libertarian think tankers maybe think again And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Review Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please feel free to share it on the social media platform of your choice. It helps the show out massively. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, you can at us on Twitter, at SockReviewPod. Email us, SockReviewPod at gmail.com. Or leave a response to the Google form that you can find on our Twitter. Our music is The Dance by Kyle Cox, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic rest of the day.